pray. Dear Heavenly Father, once again we come before you through this wonderful channel called prayer, an opportunity to speak to the living God. Lord, we thank you that your word promises that you want to hear and answer prayers, and we come before you as a needy people. Lord, we've dedicated these next few moments to the worship of your person. We ask that you would help us to see past ourselves. Lord, as painful as it is sometimes that we would allow the spotlight of your word to show us those things that need to be confessed and forsaken. Lord, that we would leave this place changed, a tool in the hand of the master. We ask that you would make us your servants till you come back for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. really believe the words of that song we just sang. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus, but it's so easy to lose sight in the here and now. I want you to turn just with me for a moment. We're going to get a little background. I never like just uh, giving Bible doctrine without giving you the background for it. Acts chapter 1. This morning we want to preach on the soon return of Jesus Christ. Every once in a while, if you listen to Christian radio and watch Christian television, neither one of which I can really recommend, people say, Pastor, that's that's strange. Why don't you like uh, Christian radio and Christian television? Well, so often what is on those things is not Bible. It's just... A little bit of Bible. I mean, if you want to feel good about yourself, you know, listen to Joel Osteen. If you want to feel bad about yourself, read the Bible and then go to Jesus and get it fixed. Amen. Uh, I wouldn't want to go to a doctor. In fact, I've been to one this week. And and that doctor tell me, everything's okay, don't worry about it. I'd rather them tell me the truth. How about you? Say, you're going to need surgery. You're going to need, praise God, I don't need surgery on my finger. Uh, Said, rest it. I said, well, that's kind of hard where I am. And I said, well, you give it a couple weeks of rest and it should be okay. I want a doctor that's going to tell me the truth, amen? Not someone that's going to pretend that a real sickness or real disease doesn't exist. We have a name for those. We call them dishonest now, don't we? And this morning, we want to look at the Word of God. Jesus has made a promise. He said He's coming back. Now, a lot of people look at that kind of promise and said, Boy, that sounds a little weird to me. That's a little strange. How many of you remember Christmas? Didn't God make a promise that Jesus would come? He actually started that promise in Genesis chapter 3. As they were still standing on the edge of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve would never live there again because of sin. But Jesus said, God approached them and he said, listen, it's the seed of the woman that's going to bruise the head of the serpent. Remember what happened just a little while later? Eve had a son. She said, I've gotten a son of the Lord. This is the son that's going to do all the great things that God said. His name was Cain. The first murderer it would be a long time before that little manger in Bethlehem would hold God in the flesh. Anyone who would deny that Jesus has come. Well, we have one of two options for you. Either You are just really unlearned. The word is ignorant. Or you are purposefully ignorant. The word for that is stupid. Uh, Either one, you're in real trouble. Amen. And Jesus gave a promise. He said, I'm coming again. Now, I want us to read that promise here in Acts chapter 1. And then I want to spend a few moments... In Zechariah chapter 14, because there's a lot of confusion over this doctrine of the second coming of Christ. 
uh, there are some people, they want to put everything all together, that it happened all at one time. And uh, that seems to be the pervading philosophy of what you get on Christian radio and in the Christian bookstore. But I'm going to show you that you can't do that. Acts chapter 1, Jesus is giving the disciples the final instructions. Verse 8 says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. If you're looking for the power of the Holy Spirit on your life, get a handful of tracts and go tell somebody about Jesus. Amen. That's the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by him in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now, somebody may be really on their toes and really listening this morning. Said, Preacher, you said just a few minutes Jesus would give us that promise. And here the angels tell the disciples that. Uh, we'll get to where Jesus gave the promise in a little bit. Just fasten your seatbelts and as we move through the message... But the angels reaffirmed that promise. They said, Jesus is coming in like manner as ye have seen him go. Now, I want us to just touch on a few things here. Who were witnesses to Jesus going in this passage? Only the disciples. They were the only ones that knew about it. It was not a public event. It was very private it was quiet there was no cataclysmic happenings had a phone call this week a man called up and said I, I want to rent space in your church to do a Bible study I refrained myself and I, I wanted to say what do you think we do here uh, we study the Bible here if you want a Bible study, how about you come and be a part of what's going on? Uh, I, I didn't do that. I was trying to be very kind on the phone. Uh, I said very simply, I said, uh, our, our building is full. We have three languages meeting right now, and we're working on others. And, and uh, we have a do not rent policy. Uh, I, the, we only work with people who already believe what the Bible says and, and the way our church teaches. And it's not because of our church. It's just because of the Bible, amen? We don't want the Bible to agree with our church. We want our church to agree with the Bible. You've, you've got to get the right order there. And uh, he said, yes, the signs are coming. Jesus is coming very soon. I said, we don't need any signs. We'll get to First Thessalonians chapter 4 in just a few moments. What did Paul say? He used the personal pronoun, we. We includes me. Paul was looking for Jesus to return in his lifetime. Now, last time I checked, Paul died a long time ago. Somebody said, doesn't that make you lose hope? No, that tells me how much closer we are today. Amen. I, I just believe this book called the Bible. And we don't have time to go into all the theological ramifications and all of these things, but I just want to touch on something. If you pick up a book on eschatology, that is the Bible teaching of the end times, they will tell you that this doctrine of the eminent or any moment return of Jesus Christ is a new phenomenon. And of course... History is never the judge of truth. History is a lot like mathematics. Figures never lie, but liars figure. Isn't that true? Went to take a math test. They had three people there. They had a second grader, a twelfth grader, and an accountant. 
The answer was, what is 2 plus 2? Second grader? Oh, that's easy. Four. Twelfth grader. He says, I don't believe in that old math. He says, 2 plus 2 is 22. They came to the accountant. He says, what do you need it to work out to? We'll make it work. Be careful. I hope we don't have any accountants here this morning. I'm not trying to rank on accountants. They do a wonderful job. I, I don't understand how they do that work, but I'm glad they're there to do it. Amen? But God doesn't want new math. He doesn't want us to work out things according to what we want the answer to be. That's why he gave us a book called the Bible. Now, let's take just a moment and go to the book of Zechariah. And the reason I bring this up is because in 451 A.D., the quote-unquote church of that day held a council because they didn't know what to believe about Jesus Christ. They were still trying to figure out who he was. People often say, but all churches came out of the Catholic Church. That's not true. There was no such thing as a Catholic Church as it is today until 1054 when the Orthodox and the Catholic Church went their separate ways. The Council of Chalcedon was 451 A.D. We're 500 years before that split between the Orthodox and the Catholic Church they were still one organization, and they were still trying to figure out who Jesus is. They finally arrived at a biblical answer. The Council of Chalcedon gave the right answer to who Jesus Christ is. But let me ask you a question. If you are saved today, you had to know who Jesus is before you got saved. If it took a church over 420 years from the time that Jesus walked the face of the earth to finally settle on an orthodox position, I, I want to challenge your view of history. There's an awful lot of unsaved people that had to have been in that organization from the time of Jesus up until 451 in order to argue about who Jesus is. Does that make sense? But let me tell you one other great decision from the Council of Chalcedon. They denounced Chiliasm. Has nothing to do with that wonderful meal of beans and hamburger and tomato sauce. Uh, the word chili is a prefix that means a thousand. At the Council of Chalcedon, they finally were able to agree who Jesus was. That he is the very God, the creator God of the universe. That there are three persons. There is one God. They finally figured that out. But they took three quarters of your New Testament and threw them away at the same meeting saying there is no such thing as the return of Jesus Christ. There will be no personal kingdom of Jesus Christ for a thousand years on this earth. And all of these promises in the Bible are wrong. I praise God that I'm a Baptist today. Never have been part of a church that needed to figure out who Jesus is. In fact, you've got to know the answer to that question before you become a part of the true church. Amen? And the words of this book called the Bible tell us that Jesus is coming back. It is very plain. They say that it's a new doctrine. But if they had to denounce it in 451 A.D., does that make it a new doctrine, my friend? Uh, no, it doesn't. It qualifies as one of the most ancient beliefs that have been held by people who believe this book. Now, I hope you don't mind the history lesson. But I want you to have an answer when people start throwing things at you. This belief in the second coming of Jesus Christ is found in the pages of this book called the Bible. 
it was such a problem that the false church had to denounce it in 451 A.D. It's not old. I mean, it's not new. It's Bible. Amen. And we read in Zechariah chapter 14, we're going to read some strange verses here, but this is talking about the Lord coming back. It says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravaged, and half the city shall go forth into captivity. And the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Now, we could keep on reading there. But I want you to go back to the first passage we read in Acts chapter 1. It was very private. It was quiet. It was only with the disciples. And the angel said, in like manner, you're going to see him come again. Now, if Jesus goes forth and all nations are gathered against Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives splits in two, is there any way we can reconcile these events and make them happen at the same time? Is there any way we can take such a great cataclysmic event as the splitting of the Mount of Olives in two that Jesus is going to stand upon that mountain, that all the nations are going to be gathered against battle against Jerusalem to war, and that it's going to be very quiet and only deal with those people who believe in Jesus Christ. We have any, I know we have at least one math teacher here this morning. When you have two geometric shapes that do not match exactly, we call that incongruent. These two events that we've read in the Bible are both talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, but they do not match. You cannot force that round peg into a square hole. Now, I hate to use that illustration because if you get a big enough hammer, you can take a round peg and put it in a square hole. I've done it but you ruined the board and you ruined the peg. If you want to believe what the Bible says, we're talking about two separate events all wrapped up in this term the Bible calls the day of the Lord. Jesus is coming for his saints. Then he will come with his saints and rule this world. We're not going to have to worry about printing money when Jesus is in charge. Amen. There's not going to be any bailouts. Uh, you're not going to lose your investments in the stock market because there won't be one. You won't need to worry about any of those things when Jesus rules and reigns here on earth. Would anybody like to guess how many Al-Qaeda terrorists will be during Jesus' rule and reign on earth? Do you know how many military personnel this world will have when Jesus rules and reigns? You've just answered the question. None. You see, Jesus doesn't need an army to do his bidding. One of the questions people have often asked, uh, they do so quite mean-spirited and trying to trick, and they say, listen, how... How can there be a true God when religion is the root of all the problems that are in this world? Very, very simple, my friend. The God of this book has never, ever used an army of men to get his job done. He's big enough. He doesn't need me to fight his battles. By the way, 
If you want to curse him, I feel sorry for you. I'm going to warn you, you're going to stand before him someday. But he's so big, he doesn't need me to protect him. That's the problem with the religion of Islam. Their God has to be protected. Uh, by the way, it's not new with Islam. Does anybody remember the Crusades in the Middle Ages? Tens of millions of people wasted, killed, maimed, untold, horrible events. All why? Because the God of the Church of Rome needed to be protected. My God will protect himself. The Bible tells me this. A misunderstanding of end-time doctrine will mess you up everywhere else. You've got to understand that the next event on God's prophetic calendar, his clock is ticking. It started ticking during the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Paul said, listen, Jesus could come back today. I'll tell you what, wouldn't it be wonderful if we didn't have to endure the rest of this heat wave? Jesus just came back today. Amen. We were in heaven with him. I wouldn't feel bad at all leaving an unfinished wall for the Antichrist. Amen. It wouldn't bother me a bit. I wish Jesus would come today. But we don't know when he's coming. But there's some practical things that I want us to get. You see, all true Bible doctrine has this in common. It tells you how to live. If what you're studying about the Bible doesn't change the way you live tomorrow when you go to work, you're studying the Bible the wrong way. We have theological cemeteries, I like to call them that are full of people that debate great thoughts and think all these uh, incredible things about the Bible. I met one of those guys one time. He says, he says, I have the answers to questions you're not even smart enough to ask. I said, well, it wouldn't take much to do that, amen? I don't claim to be that smart. But let me ask you a question. Do you know for sure whether you're going to go to heaven when you die? He didn't have the answer to that question. And what was worse, he didn't want the answer to that question. I'd rather be dumb and go to heaven than to be incredibly educated and spend an eternity in hell separated from God. Could we say amen to that? God does not need ignorance to get his job done, by the way. But he likes honesty. And as we look at the Bible this morning, I want us to turn to the book of Titus. I don't know if you have some of the same difficulties that I am with decisions that are being made by the new administration of our country, by things that are being tossed around. I, I am seeing an America that I know nothing about. I am seeing things change that were the pillars and the foundation of our society being removed and discarded upon the ash heap of history, saying that they're worthless, that they don't work, I can't believe that we had a president of the United States that says we have to, uh, we have to short circuit, we have to stop a free market economy and let the government take over so we can save a free market economy. That doesn't make sense to me. Um, that's like saying we need to suspend all freedom of every individual so that we can get a government that will give true freedom. Does anybody remember who said that? Vladimir Lenin. I fear 
for the future of this nation. And we're going to, I'm getting ahead of myself, we're going to talk about a troubled heart. But before that, I, I want to give you a little hope this morning. Look with me to Titus chapter 2. Verse 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Ever since I was a little kid, I've heard preachers preach on the second coming of the Lord. And it's always been, you don't know when Jesus is coming, you better be ready. Scared me to death. I grew up fearing that Jesus could come back at any moment. Is that what the Bible says? You grew up the same way, didn't you, brother? I can tell. It says that it's the blessed hope of the believer. It's the most wonderful thing that could possibly happen is Jesus could call us away. There's something wrong with your heart if you're living in fear of meeting Jesus face to face. And yet you claim to be one of his children. Amen? There's something wrong with that kind of faith. It's the blessed hope. It's the glorious appearing. Now, if you're here today and you're unsaved, I hope you are afraid that Jesus will come back today. I hope there is a little fear in your heart because the Bible says if you reject the truth while you have opportunity to be saved, you'll believe the lie. When the imposter comes. But it is the blessed hope of the Christian. I love that song. When we see Christ. When I went to Bible college, every fellowship week, the graduation week, they would sing that song on the last night. And you'd have thousands of Preachers and families and students and everybody gathered together in that big gymnasium that we used to meet in. And they'd sing that song. And there wouldn't be a dry eye in the house. And now you just sit there. It's going to be worth it when I see Jesus. Amen. I got a hope that's a little bigger than any problem that comes down. From City Hall, Albany, Wall Street. We getting personal here? There's a lot of problems in this world, amen? And almost all of them you can do nothing about. You know what? President Obama has not called me one time since he's been in office. He, I take by that he really doesn't care what I think. And you know what? I think that's a pretty good understanding of President Obama's respect for me as a person. He doesn't even know I exist. I think I'd rather have it that way. How about you? But the truth of the matter is, God didn't put me here to straighten out President Obama, to stop stem cell research on human embryos, to tell him that we got into trouble by spending too much money, so we're going to get out of it by spending too much money. I mean, this is nonsense. Somebody said, you just don't understand 
I hope I never get that smart to understand. But here's what I do understand. My hope is in the fact that Jesus is coming back. And this country may, we may see what has happened to every great nation of all history happen in our lifetime. You go to the city of Rome today, what is left? The ruins of a once great empire. There's a few roads. They still use them today. They were built by the Romans. But it's just relics and ruins. You can go to the Greeks. You can go to the Persians before them. Do you realize the country of Iran used to rule the world? They did. One of the largest empires in all of history, controlling land no other people group has ever controlled, belonged to the Persian Empire. You wonder why Ahmadinejad is in a jihad trying to run the whole world? His ancestors used to do it. What's there now? Archaeological digs. Ruins. You want to go to Babylon before that? Saddam Hussein thought he was Nebuchadnezzar reincarnated. He really did. But anyway, um, he never fulfilled that dream. Shall we just leave it there? But as a Christian, as a Christian, my hope is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It ought to be the greatest thought in my heart. It is the comfort of my soul. It is what will keep me going. There's many, many studies that have been done on human endurance and deprivation. And, and uh, one of the stories was a young man named Sergei Kordakov. He was a Russian uh, uh, captain in the Russian Navy or something like that. And he jumped off the ship in the northern Pacific Ocean, off the coast of Vancouver, and swam almost 11 miles through a choppy ocean to shore. They went and they tried to do stress tests and, and, and run this computer program, and they said, listen, everything you tell us is humanly impossible. There's no way a human being... We doubt your story because no human being can have that kind of endurance. Is there anything else that you can tell us? Because we want to verify your story. They weren't going to let him into Canada. They thought he might be a spy of some kind, some concocted story. And finally he looked at him and he said, Well, the only thing I didn't tell you was I prayed the whole time. He said, Well, we'll go back and let's figure this out. They came back and said, now we believe your story. Because hope extends human endurance far beyond the limits of human endurance. And that was medical doctors. I like my Bible. It knew that long before the medical doctors could figure it out. Amen? Hope is something we need. As human beings, it will allow you to endure what cannot be endured any other way. That's why Jesus is my blessed hope. Amen. By the way, if you've ever stood at the, in the funeral parlor, someone who's passed on from this life into the next... 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. See, if you're saved and I have to preach your funeral, I don't mind. Because I can tell people it's not goodbye forever. It's goodbye until we meet on the other shore. Wherefore, comfort one another. That's where we get our hope. Amen. 
Our comfort is that, listen, the dead in Christ. I was talking with Mrs. Art Wilson. Some of you will remember Dr. Wilson was here in 2000 and his widow. She says, I'm now 92. I'm the same age Art was when he died, but I'm still kicking. She said, I, I don't know why God let him go first, but we'll just keep serving the Lord until he comes. And she said, you know... I think I'm going to meet Art on the way up. He said, he gets to go first because he's got six foot further to go than I do. I'll tell you, I love that attitude. 92-year-old woman. She's got hope. Amen. She's got comfort. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to try to have you out of here before 1.30, all right? First Peter chapter 1. I could preach on this subject all day. Verse 15, let's start reading there. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith in hope might be in God. Verse 22 says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. And we could keep, keep on reading. I wish we had time to deal with the whole context of this passage this morning. But I want to tell you something. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ will give you hope. It is that blessed hope. It will also give, ye, give you holiness. First John Chapter 1, I mean chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 ends with this. He that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. How many of you were tempted to sin this week? Would you just lift your hand for a moment? Okay. I uh, see most of you have a pulse, all right? You're alive. If you're alive, you've been tempted. How many of you failed? Again, every hand goes up, doesn't it? When we fail, where do we go? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what? You don't have to tell me. You tell Jesus. I didn't pay for your sins. Jesus did. Amen? But if I have this hope that is in me, that Jesus could come back at any time, it ought to change what we do with our time, shouldn't it? It ought to help us. I don't want Jesus to come back and find me doing something I'd be ashamed of. If he walked in the room. I don't want Jesus to come back and find me thinking thoughts. That don't belong to him. And you know what? We do these things. You say, listen, I've had it. I'm done being Mr. Nice Guy. Things are going to change around. Hi, Lord. That would not be good, would it? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The Yankees are down by one and it's the bottom of the ninth. I got to finish the inning first. I don't want to wait on anything. 
if Jesus comes back. Amen? Holiness is a word we don't use much anymore. We ought to. You hear it around here a lot. Separation, holiness, sanctification are all from the same group, root word. It means we don't leave the world at the door when we walk in the church. That's false religion. Because we can pick it up again when we go back out. We leave the world and we serve Christ. You say, but preacher, I failed. You just gave everybody, gave testimony. They all failed too. Am I supposed to live a life of failure and just frustration and never getting it all right? Uh, Wait a minute, let's go back. Where's my hope? It's in Jesus, amen. He's going to solve that frustration. He's going to solve that problem. But until I get rid of this in nature... There's going to be a struggle. That's what holiness is all about. He that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. And one of these days I'm going to wake up and that struggle is going to be over. Just like that. Never going to be tempted again. Never once again am I going to have to say, Pete Montoro, just shut up and leave me alone so I can serve Christ. It's going to be gone. That in itself is a wonderful hope to add to our list, is it not? But we keep struggling. Let's go to Luke chapter 12. Don't worry, we only have two more. This one and one more, all right? Luke chapter 12. Jesus was teaching... On his return. And he had just got done telling them a a parable. Saying, listen, you need to be watching when the Lord comes. And Peter asked him this question in verse 41. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us? Or even to all? And the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink, and to be drunken, The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not, and did commit things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall much be required, shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Now, Jesus was teaching on his return. We don't have time to answer every question about this passage, but what I want you to understand is the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus Christ, number one, is going to give you hope. Number two, it's going to put you in the effort to have holiness in your life. Number three, it's going to give you a heart to serve God. How many of you catch yourself just going through the motions? Day in, day out. Got to get up. Got to go to work. Got to pay the bills. Got to go to bed so I can get up, go to work, pay the bills. That's not much fun in life, is it? I don't know who wrote the song, and I don't care, and I really don't want to sing it, but it's something about I live for the weekends or thank God for the weekends or something like that. 
You know, there are people that live for the next opportunity to numb their senses and to escape reality. That's not a life. I mean, even the world recognizes it. They say, you need to find something that you love, and if you'll do it, you enjoy work. My dad had a better approach to that subject. He just said, you're going to work or else. Okay, I'm going to work. I didn't want to find out what else was. I really didn't. Amen. But I found out if I put my heart in my work, no matter what he gave me to do, it was a whole lot easier than when I was standing there going, can't wait to finish pulling these weeds so I can get on my bicycle and do what I want to do. Somebody said, you would never do that, Pastor. Oh, yes, he would. I'm a human being just like you are. If we're not careful, we allow our heart to go out to the things of the world, to go out to the things that make us feel better. I I mean, I look and I, I say, man, I am such a pansy. I make my coffee hot. Then it's got to have the right amount of sweetener and the right amount of cream. Too much of both, I'm sure, but tastes better that way now, doesn't it? And you know, I even get picky about what kind of coffee I like. Now, no one else does that, do they? I mean, don't we pamper ourselves... You really deserve. What what was that commercial? You deserve a break today. I don't like a broken digestive system, so I don't go to McDonald's very often. But we say, oh, you deserve this little luxury. You, You deserve this. You, hey. I want my heart. Jesus, this is the the core of this. Jesus says, listen. You don't know when I'm coming back. You're supposed to be waiting for me to come back. That's your blessed hope. Amen. It's supposed to put you in the path to striving for holiness. But I got to understand something. See, my dad had a way of making me want to put my heart into the work. It was called else. If it wasn't done when he came home, I found out what else was. Did you read this passage here? It said there's going to be some judgment meted out. That ought to be a little scary if we're not doing what the Father wants us to do. What did the unfaithful servant say? He said in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming. That man, according to this parable, was never saved because Jesus doesn't take away your salvation. But you can read all through your scriptures of imitators. You can read all through the Bible of people who get on the bandwagon. In fact, I was having a discussion with a young preacher in Washington State. He said, Pastor, I just need to talk to you about a few things. And as we were talking, I said, listen, there's only one protection that God has provided for self-deception. It's the local church. Because when you go to a local assembly that preaches and teaches the Bible, you get hammered every week. Amen? But I could have people who are here this morning stand up and give testimonies that it took a long time 
for them to get past their self. Remember one person in particular, I sat down and said, listen, you have built an entire life and testimony of deception and self-deception. You've told me you were saved. You, uh, we, we baptize you, you serve God in the church, uh, all of these things, and now you tell me you're not saved. I said, it's going to take a while. And it was 12, 14 months, I believe, in church every Sunday, listening to the preaching before they finally work things out. And said, Pastor, now I know what it means to be saved. I'm going to go home and get saved this today. Getting saved is easy. Getting past yourself is hard. No one wants to think they're on the wrong road. Isn't that true? You want to deal with self-deception. Put yourself under the preaching of God's Word. It will bring you to the point of making a decision. Amen? Either you can't stand it anymore and you'll leave and never come back, or you'll get saved and say, I love it. This is where I belong. Some of you have gone through that. Amen? First time I, I've heard many people, first time I walked in here, I wondered what in the world I gotten myself into. So now I like it. Because it's the Word of God. Amen? God will put your heart... And by the way, if you need any motivation, there's plenty of it in the Scripture. There's a place called hell. There's God's eternal holiness and God's eternal justice. I'd want to get that settled if I were you because Jesus is coming back. Amen? Now we got one more. Let's go to John chapter 14. I love these verses. Every time I hear a news broadcast, I start quoting them, just about. John chapter 14, verse 1. What's it say there? If you know this, read it with me. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. How many of you have ever just gotten, and you say, I'm at the end of my rope. I just need a little bit of help. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. What's the next verse to say? In my Father's house are many little rooms. If you got a new Bible, that's what it says. I, I like the real thing. It says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. I told you at the beginning, Jesus promised us he was coming back. Amen. This is where he promised the disciples, the context. He just told them. He said, one of you is going to betray me into the hands of the Pharisees. One of you is going to deny that you even know who I am and the rest of you are going to be hiding like scared little girly men. It's in the original language. Study it out. No. Then he says, let not your heart be troubled. How many of you have had a troubled heart this week? you understand that's being disobedient to the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ? Just so you know, my heart's been troubled too. That's why I'm preaching this message. Do you believe in God? And believe in Jesus. Because he's coming back. What's verse 6 say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
no man cometh unto the Father but by me. You want hope? You got to come to Jesus and get it. You want holiness? You got to let him struggle in you to change the way you live. Amen? Do you want to have a heart for the things of God? Just start waiting for the Lord to come back. Amen? By the way, we use that term waiting several different ways. We think waiting is just sitting around doing nothing. But let me tell you, the best example of true waiting is what goes on in most restaurants. Good restaurants. The waiter is there to make sure everything is ready. Do you need more of this? Do you need, is your food okay? Is every, I mean, if you've ever been to a good restaurant, the waiter is the busiest guy there, isn't he? Or is it the chef in the kitchen? I'm not sure which. But the waiter is really working. Brother Dave's a chef. That's the way God wants us to wait. He doesn't want us to just sit around going, I hope Jesus comes back today. Da, 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 da. Leave that for Christian television, Okay. If you want to be waiting, it's serving the Lord Jesus Christ today. Amen. It's doing what you can do today. Then I'll know that when he comes back, I'll be ready. Are you saved? Have you trusted Jesus as your personal Savior? If you have... That's step one. Next step, get baptized and start serving God in his local church. Amen. Next step, repeat till Jesus comes back. Amen. You say, but you didn't answer any of the question about the problems that are going on in our country. I'm sorry, I can't answer those questions. And that's not where my hope is. And yes, if something bad happens to this country, I'm going to shed tears. But my hope is in Jesus Christ. God doesn't need the United States of America to do his will. Nor did he need the city of Jerusalem or the temple in Jerusalem to do his will. God will do his will because he is God. He doesn't need me, but I sure do need him every day. He's my hope, holiness. He's my heart. And when I run out of heart, he's my help. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We ask that during this time of invitation that we would not deny you what you've asked of us. Lord, that we would not disobey the clear commands that are in your word. You said there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. Lord, we just pray that if there be unsaved people here today, that today would be the day that they would trust you. They would just let go of the world, let go of tradition, let go of all the things. Just as a little child, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for those many hands went up. My heart's troubled about many things. But Lord, I'm going to bring those troubles to you and believe in you more than I am those troubles. Lord, I'm just going to trust you. Because there really is no other place to go. No place I want to go. No place your word tells us to go. 
Lord, we ask that you would change us, that we may be your servants. We'd ask you'd use this time of invitation to draw us closer to thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's just stand together for a moment.